Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Oh, I'm so honored to get to speak today. I feel like I need to pass on something that I feel like the Lord, though, has been saying to me um, about the last 36 hours, maybe. And that is that God has been reminding me how seen I am to him lately. And as I was thinking about that, he continued to expand that. And he's actually saying that my family is very seen by him. And then he's expanding it further. This morning, I'm realizing he's actually saying this church family is extremely seen by God And that's not to say that he has not been seeing us. He's actually been seeing us quite clearly all along. But I think there's an anointing this morning on remembering and realizing how seen we are, how visible we are to God, especially right now. And if all of heaven, now now if you really believe that, you might have a couple of different emotions from that. You might feel a little intimidated that all of heaven might have stopped their gaze and found you to start looking at maybe a little embarrassed, a little overwhelmed. I believe the right response, though, is to feel so honored that God would stop his gaze at us. And and if he's looking at us, he's wanting to talk to us. He's wanting to relay his heart onto us. And I believe it's for commissioning and partnering with him with what he's up to and what he wants to do. And so I want to remind us and tell us, maybe inform us this morning that God really sees us, especially today. And it's for the purpose of telling us some things so that we can partner well with him. So that was just heavy. And so I just wanted to say that's what he's he's put on me. Um, I really love the direction that we're headed in this morning, though, because it's all about Jesus being joy. And we lit the, uh, the pink Advent candle, uh, Cohen and Eli, as Jarrett said, way to go. You guys are awesome. I love having the, the, the younger generation getting to carry the baton some in here. We need more of that. And you guys are just the guys to help lead that and do that. So they lit the pink candle. Um, if you're wondering why one's pink and, and others are not, it's because uh, liturgically, it's the color of joy. And so right now, the joy flame is burning and so let that be symbolic to uh, your joy being able to burn right now in you. It's, it's more than just tradition. This has actually got some real purpose in it. Um, and so we're talking about the fact that uh, Jesus is, is joy, and um, he has a lot to say about our relationship with him being joy in our life. So Cohen, my oldest son, um, he just made the basketball team. And... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, take a bow. And we've never been a basketball family before. I mean, we're five foot nothing, come on. But we've always loved sports, and so we're kind of coming awake to basketball a little bit these days, going to basketball games, learning, you know, what's a foul, what's not, what's the terminology for that. Um, I've always announced my boys' football games when I record them, and so I've started to try to announce basketball games. You're like, why? I'm like, I don't really know why. It's a, a habit that I hadn't stopped yet, I guess. And I'm like, and that's a... It's a foul. It was a charge. And like, just y'all know, the watchers know what it is. I don't know what it is. So we're trying to get caught up a little bit. So we were reminiscing on the NCAA March Madness tournament that took place earlier this year in 2021. And uh, it was won by the Baylor Bears. The Baylor Bears won the men's basketball tournament. And during the semifinal 
uh, game, they were, uh, they, they were interviewed. And one of their best players in particular was interviewed and asking about the game. And he said something that kind of made my jaw hit the ground when I, when I, when I saw it. And then when I was going to be talking about joy, I remembered it. He said that we've just played with a culture of joy all year. I'm like, what? Yeah, well, I was right. I mean, you're a basketball team. And so, I mean, I could see that, you know, being in the church or, you know, a nonprofit organization or something that's kind of got a little, you know, Jesus flair on it or something. But he's like, no, we've just been playing with a culture of joy all year. And we really attribute our success so far to that. And you're like, I want to play with a culture of joy. Can I, can I come join your team? When's practice next? I mean, I want that all over me. I want to have a culture of joy in my life. I want to have a culture of joy in my family. I want that reputation. I want to do well to make sure that that stays um, thriving. I want our church to have a culture of joy, to be known in the community. When, when heaven's gaze stops and stares at us, they say, hey, there's the joyful bunch. I want that culture. And so now they're in the championship game and they're playing Gonzaga, who's unbeaten. And uh, they're kind of the, the, the Goliath, although you could make an argument that maybe it's Goliath versus Goliath here in this case, because Baylor wasn't too shabby all year themselves. And so, so then they win, and they win going away. They, they win handy, Baylor does. And so now the stakes are a little bit higher, and there's confetti, confetti falling from the, the ceiling, and, and they interview the head coach, Scott Drew. And they say, <clears throat> you know, hey, what do you have to say for this? And he says the same thing. He says, we just attribute everything that we've done to this point to the culture of joy that we've been playing with. Well, now, you know, this thing's been being coached. Now it's not just one guy who had that perspective, but this is what they've been doing. They've been could, could, being a conducive culture for joy in everything they've been doing, and, and we're seeing it pay off. And so hearing them talk about that, it just really struck me. And, and you know, over the last 22 months of our life where we've re- structured a lot of how we operate, we hadn't heard that word maybe a lot, joy. Um, we've heard a lot of other words and how are we going to realign and how are we going to learn new ways to do things, but joy has kind of been put on the back burner a little bit. And I think what we need to reintroduce to our world, our society, maybe ourselves, is this idea that, that joy is a real possibility. And, uh, and if we're being honest, most of the time when the word joy is flung around, what we mean is happiness. We, we use them interchangeably really easily, and the world, I think, does too. The world you know, says, hey, uh, you know, joy, but what we're after really is a search for happiness. We're, we're, we're searching to have this fix that we need that really joy is the answer to, but happiness is what we're after as, as the society. And um, you've never ha heard a, an advertisement, for instance, that's contrary to, to happiness. Like they're not going to try to sell you a sleep number bed and say, hey, you know, dial in your perfect sleep number on the mattress so that you can have a miserable night's rest. Uh, no, you know, instead what you see is you see Fred there laying on his side of the bed and you see Sarah on her side of the bed and Fred's got his, you know, dialed in just right and he's sleeping like a baby and then Sarah's over here and she's actually smiling, thank you, while she's asleep. You're like, I didn't know that was possible. But they're, they're as happy as can be and you're like, I want to be happy. I'm going to get me a sleep number bed so I can have an uninterrupted night's rest so that I can do that. And that's how the world sells us anything they're trying to sell us is to say, hey, this will make you happy. This is actually an answer to what you need. But here's the truth is that happiness is actually very elusive. It's really hard to get your hands on. If you do get some happiness, it's really hold to, hard to hold it and to keep it because it's slippery. And as soon as it comes, it goes or it turns into something else. 
And so I'm gonna define it this way for us this morning. It could be defined probably a hundred different ways. Happiness is an emotion in response to the current outcome. In other words, when, when your kid does what you want them to do, you feel happy. Yes. And then it's amazing. In five minutes, you turn around, and now that same kid's doing something you didn't want them to do, and all that happiness just got snuffed out of the room. And you're disappointed. And where did the happiness go? I was just happy for a moment there, but I'm not happy anymore. It's elusive. And, and while we're on the basketball track, um, <laughs> UCLA and Gonzaga were playing in the other semifinal opposite of Baylor leading to the championship game and UCLA hits a basket with 3.3 seconds to go and they're panning with the, you know, the TV cameras, everybody in there, and I mean happiness if you're wearing the, the UCLA colors. 3.3 seconds on the clock, everybody knows this one's going into overtime and the inbound pass comes and then Jalen Suggs, am I right? He became a household name in our house. Gets the ball and hits a bank shot from half court to win as the clock expires. And the pictures are priceless of the UCLA people just, 3.3 seconds, all the happiness in the room snuffed out in a vacuum. Disbelief, can't believe it, despair. How are we gonna get over this? Every year we have a new uh, iPhone come out. This is the iPhone 13, this is not mine. But I feel so special just holding one. And uh, next year, you won't feel as special holding it because the next one's going to be out. But um, for right now, this is the latest and greatest. And um, it's just amazing what it can do if you listen to the advertisement. So I'm going to read you a little bit of the advertisement here. This is your new superpower, it says. This is word for word. Yeah, superpower right there in your hand. Our most advanced dual camera system ever. Durability that's front and center and edge to edge meaning that you're only going to have to replace it nine times instead of 20 when you drop it over the course of its life. Although this guy's got a case on this one, so it's maybe going to be fewer than nine, hopefully. Yeah, a little experiment. A lightning-fast chip that leaves the competition behind. Come on. A huge leap in battery life that you'll notice every single day. iPhone went to film school, so you don't have to. And then here's the grand finale. Ready for this one? It is super color pixelistic XDR edocious. That's the iPhone 13 for you. I feel happier having just read that. I mean, I want to go get one now. And why wouldn't you with all that promise, all that happiness? I mean, they're not showing sad people. They're showing the happiest people talking on this phone, the prettiest people that you've ever seen in your life. And they're, you know, taking pictures of each other and they're shooting films on the rugged, you know, surface of the moon, essentially. Um, and they're, you know, making the films in 8K. Thank you very much. And I'm like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for all my life. But the weird thing is that this very thing that was advertised to bring you happiness can ring and you can pick it up and hear the word you never wanted to hear on the other end of it and realize that all the happiness is gone and that really it brought you sadness and despair, a new normal maybe for life or what are you gonna have to contend with? And happiness is that way. When the outcome of a situation is amazing, our happiness meter climbs really fast. And then when the news is less than desired, then the quotient tanks on us. And if our search in life is happiness, 
which really is what the world knows, God bless them, then we're going to have this yo-yo life and really not have happiness anyway because really it's joy that we need, joy that we're longing for, joy that we were created to have. And so I'm, I'm really not interested today in not trying to do this, make a war between the word happiness or the war, word joy, but we, we, we do have to understand that Jesus' desire for our lives, for your life, for my life, is that we have, have joy in our lives and that it's greater than our circumstances, that it's greater than the outcomes that we face on any given day. And so Jesus said something about it in John 15, in verse 11. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus has some joy, thank you. He's the author of it. And he would like to give his joy to you so that the joy he's already put in you can now actually come full circle and be made complete. And that's the goal. That's the goal. That's why we light the pink candle. That's why here at Christmas time, we're reminding ourselves of what's available to us. And we're saying this doesn't have to be an Advent message. This can be the theme of our lives, that God wants to restore the joy of our salvation unto us. Can you remember back when you first met Jesus and you realized everything could change, that transformation could really happen, that you could be a new creation. And you realize these things are going to change in my life. My kids have a chance. My job doesn't have to be uh, so, so despairing that I can experience life like it was supposed to. And then somewhere along the, the line, time and routine and monotony happened. And you realize, I need a restoration of joy, the joy that I had when I first realized who Jesus was and that he comes and he makes all things new. And that's the reminder that Jesus is giving us today is that I have told you, and we'll read, read here in a second what he has just told us, because that's what he says in verse 11. I've told you all this so that my joy may be in you and that that joy may be complete. When I say a joyful person, I wonder who comes to your mind. Think about it for a second. Who's the person that you know of who is joyful? If I'd ask the question the other way, you might be like, oh, I got 10 answers for that one. Who's the most unjoyful person? Yeah, I can tell you that. <laughs> Don't look at them if they're here. That's why God brought them. <clears throat> but I'm thinking about some of the most joyful people I know. There's a, a guy at the job I've been working at, and he runs our team. And every time we interact, I feel like he's joyful. Not giddy and happy, even though there's nothing wrong with that, but just solid and joyful and no problems too big. There's always a solution. There's always hope. There's always an answer. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm just throwing a lot of you know, questions at him, and that's just the read on it. But I've, I've, I've mentioned his name to a couple other people and gotten the same feedback from them that, yeah, no, that's who he is. That's how he is. That's how he's been for a long time. And when you see somebody like that, you realize the gap, don't you? You realize something's different. What's different? Is it that he has a sleep number bed? Thank you. And he, he had it dialed in good last night and, and happened to you know, have the good night's sleep and so everything's just peaches and sunshine? Or, or maybe is it somebody who's actually experiencing what Jesus is actually saying is available and their joy is actually being made complete? Wow. And when you see that, you say it's attainable. I can actually live like that because they have circumstances. They've got the, the iPhone 13, but it still rings with bad news potentially. And they still can stay steadfast, locked in to, to the hope of the Lord. And so you, you just notice kind of that this is what's happening here. And when you're around people like that, there's this, this inspiration and God's saying, you can be like that. You don't have to just be around people and notice, but you can be that, that people notice about you. 
And so Jesus gives us a bit of a clue here in this passage in John 15. And so if happiness is an emotion in response to a current outcome, then we're gonna define joy this way. Joy is a durable and permeating gratitude that's rooted in unchanging outcomes. So not swayed by current conditions, it's actually durable. It means it doesn't have to weather. Well, I've just been under so much. So many hits have come at me that it started to erode my joy. But joy is durable. It doesn't get eroded when it's, when it's by, by nature of what it is. And it's permeating, meaning it goes through anything and it touches everything. And there's no nook or cranny or crevice that's hiding out that when the joy comes, well, it was covered up by something, by this, this extra you know, credit bad news. And so um, it didn't get on. No, it's permeating. It touches everything. It completely displaces everything else and fills and occupies it to the fullest. And so here's the big key. Dustin had, would you have points? You had points and keys last time. We'll do big, we'll do big ideas this time. Okay. <laughs> the big idea um, here is, is that gratitude is the difference between whether I'm joyful or not. We've heard a lot about this lately, I feel like, is that gratitude's the answer. When something's not working, when something's broken, what's the answer? Gratitude, thankfulness. To who? To Jesus. <laughs> He's the giver of everything that we have. You hear so many people say, well, gratitude. And I just want to be, yeah, but, but who are you thankful to? You know, because he, he's the object of our thanks. He's the object of our gratefulness. You say, well, I don't know that I have a lot to be thankful for. Oh, yes, you do. And here's where you start. You start at the fact that you're born again, that you're saved. I don't ever want to arrive to a place in life where I realize that's old hat, where I've been along the road so long in the church or in the family that I, f I forget about the fact that um, I was once without and now I have everything. And it's not just a secured place one day, but that that secured place is actually here in me now. And it fills me with purpose. That's what you have to be thankful for. That's your current condition. That's your current status. And so anything else that happens outside of that doesn't even compare to your current condition of what's true about you. And it takes some intentionality to be conscious of that, to remember that. You got to practice to remember that. Otherwise, the volume of all the circumstances start to outweigh that and, and, and sound off louder. And so that's what we're doing today. We're remembering our current position right now and therefore that we have so much to be grateful for. And when you stay in touch with your saved condition and your commissioned position, that you're actually a partner with God to build his kingdom, then gratitude just bubbles up in you. And when gratitude is your song, joy is the response. It's cause and effect. So here's what Jesus said when he said, I say these things to you so that your joy can be made complete. Here's what he just said, verse four. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So we're hearing some conditions here. Jesus is saying, hey, if you, then here's a result. Here's a cause. This is the nature of joy. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Not because God's an angry God, because, because you're not in him. There's no life source. So, so the, the, the result of not remaining in God is that you died on the vine. And so what do we do with dead branches? We, we get them out of the way. That's what he's saying. They're thrown into the fire and they're burned. 
If you remain in me, though, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is God's heart for us. Not that we survive only, or that we just make it through by the skin of our teeth, but that we are the biggest fruit bearers that the world has ever seen. There's so much fruit on you. How can there be so much fruit on you? Your branches are on, I know, it's just, it's bubbling off. The fruit's growing fruit, which is growing fruit. It's hanging on the ground. It's heavy. Could you pick some, please? This is God's heart. Are you seeing the abundance that he wants here for you? Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. There's hope. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And here it is. All this remaining, all this abiding, maybe is the word you grew up with. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. He's saying, I am joy. When you think of me, that's who I am. That's what I am. I embody it, and I'm stepping inside of you to complete joy in you. This is the most hope we've heard all Christmas season. And so I'll just throw this in here. If you're not part of the family of God today, whether you're online watching or you're in the room today watching, this is the invitation that God says, you can be a fruit bearer. But apart from being a fruit bearer of God, then joy is really not an option for you. Happiness is. You can have happiness. Maybe you can hang on to it for three or four days at a time too. Maybe you can get that lucky. But unless you're part of the family of God and in the vine structure system on the trellis, then joy is really not an option for you. And God's saying today is the day for you to become a part of the vine system so that you can have joy and have it complete in you. The other morning I was driving my middle son Callum who, um, you're not really my middle son, you're actually upper middle, thank you, that was the term I was looking for. Man, good at call to worship and good at figuring out phrases when you can't think of them. And so we're on our way to school, I take him, and uh, we've been going a little earlier because he likes breakfast, and if you get to school early enough, the breakfast doors stay open and you can actually have second breakfast. It's like like a a hobbit or something. He's our biggest breakfast eater, so I'll feed him breakfast at home. He's like, let's go early, you know, I think they're having kolaches there today. And so the result of that is that we get to see the sun come up, which is kind of a neat drive because we're there a little earlier. So we're on this back road that's a little bit woodsy. It's kind of nice. There's trees that hang over the, the road, and so it's serene. But in this moment, on this day, I was actually having an internal pity party because I was thinking about all the things I had to do at work as soon as I got the kids dropped off at school and what, what was waiting for me. The bad news, I had about three calls I had to make that were bad news, that were like, hey, we're not going to make this appointment. Uh, I know I told you that we were on this deal, but this isn't going to happen now. And then this one is a question mark I hadn't heard. I'm like, I don't want to make these calls. Oh, and I was kind of, you know, having a pity party. No happiness. And so then I look up and I see this burning bright orange color in the sky as the sun's coming up. And it was almost like this little explosion happened in the sky and the clouds were splayed and, and were just, you know, glowing. And then the, the blue sky, the vivid color is what I, was I remembered. And then the trees were like extra green. I felt like, man, I'm seeing like in vivid color, vivid detail all of a sudden. And God said in my little pity party moment right there in the truck on our 10 minute drive, he said, your life is like those colors, you know? It's, it's vivid, it's really bright, it's really nice to look at. You've got so much going for you. You've got a healthy family. You've got so much purpose in your life. You're highly favored by me. And I'm complaining in my heart about these little three calls I gotta make that in comparison, pale so much. And I realized something. I realized I wasn't very happy in that moment, but I had joy. 
I was intact with the joy, the bigger things. And so I began to just give thanks because gratitude is the answer. Thank you very much for joy. And it, and it was easy. It wasn't forced. It was like, yeah, the, the colors and, and the picture of my life. And God, I'm so thankful. For I'm, not, I'm not all that happy right now, but I'm, the overarch of my expression right now is, is joyful. And that's kind of how it works, is that you may not have happy moments and you're not promised happy moments all the time. God likes happiness. He actually created happiness. That's part of an emotion. He created us emotional beings. But the joy is a thing that doesn't waver. So here's, here's a key point. The source of joy is Jesus. He's where it comes from. That's why Jesus used the analogy of the vineyard and, 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 and all of that. And so um, you get this picture of a vineyard in your mind. Uh, we go to eat at the restaurant um, out in Driftwood, Trattoria Lacina from time to time, and they've got the Dukeman Winery right there. And you can see up close, almost you know, enough to touch it, you can see the vineyard. And so you actually get a nice picture of, of John 15 when you see the trellis and you see all these vines and all the branches and occasionally there's some grape on it. But the thing that you really got to notice is these big heavy stalks that go down in the ground. These, these roots is what they are. And then about every 10 feet or so, there's another root that goes down into the ground. And without those roots going down into the ground, you don't have the vine, you don't have the branches, you don't have the fruit, you don't have the whole purpose of having the vineyard there. That root system is so important because it feeds the sap of the Holy Spirit, which is running through those vines, which is creating the, the fruit in you. And so the fruit is directly connected to the root. God wants you to have fruit, but it's the root that's so important. And the root is the source, and Jesus is the source of joy. And there's going to be no joy in your branches unless Jesus is flowing through you. And so you can look for things and people and circumstances to give you joy, but they can't do it. Only Jesus can do it. And so that's why Galatians 5.22, Paul writes that the fruit is the result of the root. Love, joy, and all the fruits of the spirit that go, he's saying, this is how you get it. You stay connected to the source, which is Jesus. And so that's just something that we got a headline, I think, this morning, is realizing it doesn't come from anywhere else, only from Jesus. Here's the second thought, is that our focus is not on joy, it's actually on Jesus. Even though you realize, I have an absence of joy in my life, the natural thought might be, so go get joy. But you can't get joy by going after joy. You can only get joy by going after Jesus. And somewhere along the way, the way you realize I started growing joyful fruit on, my, on my, my branches, not sure even how or when that happened, but the indirect result was that all of a sudden joy has come alive in my life as I have focused on Jesus and staying in him. Um, when I was young, my sister and I went to La Mesa, Texas, West Texas, where my mamma lived. A lot of us have mammas. And my mamma was about 80 years old on this particular trip. I was under 10. I was probably eight or nine. And for being a short, squatty gal, she could huff it on a walk. <laughs> and so she made me and my sister, who are under 10, go on these morning walks with her. And so here I am, short-legged myself, and walking and realizing that after about every 10 seconds, I'm about 10 feet behind. And so I would hurry and run up and catch up to her. And so now we're walking together. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at the mailbox that we're passing by or the radio tower that's really tall, wondering if I can climb it. And oh, I'm 10 feet behind again. So I'd run again. And by the end of the walk, I was gassed. I'm like, man, I got gassed by an 80-year-old squatty, <laughs> short-legged lady. And I'm playing Pop Warner football for the first time in my life. And I'm having a shot to my confidence right now because I can't keep up with her. And so this took place, I mean, we were there for a full week, and I think like for four days in a row we went on this walk, and so I got like one day left of walking with her, which I was happy about, but I was also up for the challenge because I said to myself, I'm, I'm going to stay up with her the whole time this time. 
this day is going to be different. I'm going to keep up with Mamaw. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to stare at her feet. And every time her feet pick up, my foot's picking up. And when she puts it down, I'm putting mine down. And I'm going to stay on pace. And when she steps on a certain piece of cement, I'm putting my foot right there. I mean, right behind her. She's not going to know what hit her. And so I did. And by the end of the walk, they could have been handing out free stacks of money. And I wouldn't have even seen it because I was so focused on remaining, thank you, and abiding in her locked in and being locked into her feet where they went. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here with all these remain in me's abide in me. In fact, he says it 10 times in six verses. He says, if you remain in me, if you stay with me, if you think like I think, if you love what I love, if you believe like I believe, then the result is going to be joy, unending, complete joy in you on your life. And it's not about striving to get there. I was striving when I was walking with Mamma. That was a strive. (laughs) Strive to stride. Jesus is just, it's just, it's, it's actually easy. You just make a choice and you stay in him. Did you know that they say that you spend three hours a day looking at this thing. And you're like, I don't know if that's true. And then you start taking inventory of looking at the weather channel when you wake up to know how to dress and all of the different check-ins that you do and, and, and everything that, you know, um, got a second here. Oh yeah, it's Christmas time to do some shopping and those sandals are neat. And oh, I got an email back from this guy. And every time we do it, what we're doing actually, they say 2,600 times you actually touch it. You're looking for a happiness shot. You're looking for something to fill that little void, that little hole of wanting a little happiness. Now, sometimes you got to check it. I don't know that's three hours a day, but you got to, you know, be involved with it sometimes. But it's actually dopamine, right? You've probably heard this before. It's a chemical release in the brain. And and interestingly enough, if you shorten the word dopamine halfway, you get dope. (laughs) And so here we are just trying to get our shots, get our shots. I need a a pick-me-up. And... Jesus is saying, if you would spend some of that time abiding in me, take a walk at your own pace around the block or pray in your prayer language some or sing some songs on your own to the Lord and foster this abiding, then you're gonna look up and realize joy is not something I'm chasing anymore. It's something that actually characterizes who I've become. And the last big thought here is that joy is a process you can get happiness overnight. Um, amazingly, they say uh, that, um, that, that you know, there, there are things that do create instantaneous gratification. You can get the happiness, but, but joy actually is a process. And so um, the right response to that is to say, well, I want to start that process. I want to practice that process. I don't want to wait till later. I actually want to an action point for today would be to do what I need to do. Maybe get inside of my journal and practice gratitude so that the process of joy and Jesus' joy being made complete in me can actually start and can unfold. And so um, nobody today as a result of this talk is going to walk out of that door and say, oh my word, joy has just been made complete in me. But it is possible that you can get touched by the Holy Spirit in here today and that he puts his finger on your heart and invites you in a way that you hear and respond for this process of joy to, to be commencing in you. And if you, I, I believe that even if you would give till now till Christmas time and adopt some new practices perhaps in your life of the joy process, that you would notice joy meter climbing, even if you're getting hit by some circumstances that are otherwise, you would start to notice, huh, 
Look at that, the buoy is rising. The water level of joy is coming up in my life simply because you took Jesus at his word to practice the abiding bit that he's inviting us to. Because what you'll be doing is you'll be informing your conditions rather than your conditions informing you. I love what Joel says. He said this uh, since I've been around him this past year a lot, that we wanna be people that happen to our circumstances rather than our circumstances happening, happening to us and bossing us around and telling us how to feel. Like, yeah, but did you hear what the circumstance is? I know, but did you see how big my joy is? It's complete. Jesus made it complete. I actually get to influence the circumstance in this moment. It's so profound. And if we don't take charge of our circumstances and we go passive, then the circumstances get the say. Namely, they'll steal your gratitude. And you quit being thankful. The real enemy of joy is an ungrateful spirit that's rooted in self. Put, put you on the throne of your life right there, dead, dead center of the circle. And what happens is when, um, when, when we're rooted in self, then the ungrateful spirit that's born in us actually expresses itself in two ways. And we'll start to close here. But entitlement is the first way that's, that, that comes out in expression when you're at the very center of the circle of your life. When Jesus isn't the focus, but you're actually the focus, then you get under this entitlement that says, well, I just deserve it anyway. You say, well, I'm a child of God. Don't I deserve it? Yes, you do now. You deserve it. But you deserve it from a grateful understanding that what God's done for you and given to you. Entitlement says, I deserve it with or without God either way. And we've been around entitled people. Maybe we've been entitled some ourselves but uh, entitlement will steal and snuff gratitude faster than anything else, that mentality. And you've heard the phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. And that's largely true. But the reason we compare is we feel like we're entitled to more. So we're always analyzing everybody else's chip stack and saying, how'd they get so much? How come theirs is so big? Well, mine needs to be big. And we start to draft identity and purpose and value from how many chips you got in your stack. Because you feel entitled. There were 10 lepers in the story in Luke. They all got healed by Jesus. You know, leprosy. Thankfully, we don't know it so much firsthand anymore. But people would be missing fingers. They'd be missing parts of their ear. They'd be missing their nose. Their eyebrow would be malformed because leprosy had taken its way with it. And, and Jesus comes and he heals 10 people of their leprosy. And can you imagine the turnaround, the instructions to go to the priest, show yourself clean so you can re-enter the city, so you can re-enter life, so you can have your life back before leprosy, so you can be around your family again. This is the greatest news that these 10 had ever experienced in their life. And one of them on the way to the priest says, hang on a second, that guy Jesus is responsible for all this. I'm gonna go make a pit stop back to him before I go to the priest to say thank you because gratitude is so important. And he gets there and he's like, thank you so much, Jesus. And Jesus says, wasn't there nine others that also had the same thing happen to you? He said, yeah, you should see them. They are high-fiving. They are ecstatic. They are so pumped. And Jesus is like, well, why aren't they here to say thank you? And isn't it amazing how in one breath we can go from a plea for mercy to the next breath, ecstatic joy, to the next breath, forgetting to go say thank you, and then realizing joy went away. It got snuffed out all of a sudden. Gratitude is the key against entitlement. And then here's the other way that an ungrateful spirit expresses itself. It's in shame. Shame is the adversary to joy. 
What shame is gonna say is that if it gets on you, is that when it hears of the grace and the goodness of God, is that I could never receive it. I, I've done too much. My resume is too messy to be able to receive the goodness and the glory that embodies God that he's invited me into. I just couldn't receive it. And the truth is, what you're actually saying is that my opinion about what I deserve or what I don't deserve actually trumps God's opinion of what he thinks I deserve and wants to give me. Whether it's entitlement, I know best, or whether it's shame, I don't deserve it. We're saying, we know best, God, and we think that it's humility. To, oh, I, could, I, could, I just couldn't. But, but it's actually self being the center and the root of self is actually pride. It's not even humility. And the answer to all of that is gratitude, is returning, is having a revelation of God's goodness that he saved you. And then he's invited you to participate in his glory, to put a crown on your head, to say you're the right guy, you're the right gal, to go into that circle of influence, to change and transform what people think about themselves, who they know, to bring joy up in their life, to introduce them to Jesus. And when you're in touch with that revelation, you say, oh my word, thank you, Jesus, that you would think so much of me, that you've given me this opportunity, that you could have, the eyes of the Lord sweep to and fro throughout the earth, seeing whose heart is fully God's, and you stopped on me, you saw me, you invited me, I'm so thankful. And when that happens, then you realize, oh my gosh, joy has defined me. It's not elusive. It's not like the happiness I've been chasing. It actually is built in me like a bedrock, and I stand on it, and it's so powerful. And so when Baylor beat Gonzaga, the head coach, Scott Drew, he said, we've just been playing with this culture of joy. If you're a biologist or a scientist, you know cultures. You know that they have to be fostered carefully to grow whatever you're gonna try to develop or study. The temperature has to be just right. The light has to be just right. That's a culture. And when the culture of joy is our target, um, Scott Drew said, he, he went there. He said it. He said, you know what joy is, don't you? He said, it's Jesus, others, and you. And I'm like, I heard that in Backyard Bible Club. I've heard that all my life. He just said it on national television with the culture of joy thing. But somewhere along the way, the world has said, no, it's actually you, entitlement. And then others, if you got some time for them. And then finally, lastly, if you got some time on a Sunday, give Jesus a look. And we wonder where all the joy went in our life. And so when you prioritize Jesus and loving people like he loved them, you're not gonna be on the caboose of a fast moving train back here, tattered and torn and beat up. You're actually gonna find that you have more fruit on your life than you've ever had before because you've abided in Jesus. You've made him your main thing. Shame and entitlement have left long ago because you're grateful for who Jesus is and what he's done in you. And so I feel like this morning, God wants to invite us back to the culture of joy that he wants you to establish and have established. Maybe you've had that culture before. Maybe you're running fast and furious with it. And God's saying, keep going. There's others watching that need what you have. Maybe you've lost that culture of joy that you haven't been maintaining, that you've been believing some lies, that you've been adopting some shame, that you've been living entitled. 
And he's saying, remember the joy of your salvation. And so here's my vision for how we close today. I'd like to invite our prayer teams to come up right now. I want you guys just start to come up here. And I've asked a lot of them to come today because uh, to remind you, anybody that ever comes for prayer is not that they're sick in a hospital, dead and dying. It's actually that they're hungry for God. And here's my vision of how I saw us leaving the room today and making our exit was that we would just come up as we, before we exit the door, we would almost just all come through. Don't have to go to all of them, just go to one of them. And, and let a hand be laid upon you to just pray a blessing of release, of joy, a refreshment of joy. You know when you go to a party and they serve refreshments? It, it, it's, a, it's a pick you up. It's a, hey, this is, it's like, or to use another analogy, like the browser on your computer screen. Something's hung. Something's not working. You're not sure why, but if you refresh the browser, then all of a sudden it uncorks something and it starts working again. And I just see the Lord saying, if you would just come up here today and let these guys just pray a quick prayer of blessing on you to refresh your joy, that it will do such good for you, that it will bring uh, an outflow of what's been stopped up before. And maybe if your circumstances lately have been bossing you around because of the gravity and the details of your circumstance, you might just share with them, hey, here's the circumstance. Here's what I'm up against. Here's why I feel like I hadn't been able to be very joyful lately. And let them just pronounce over you the answer, the inverse, and say, I just released joy in you to be able to tell that circumstance what you want to do. So I'm going to pray, and these guys are going to lead us in worship. And as that happens, I just want to invite you guys to stand and just make your way. You can form a line, first come, first serve. But don't leave today without getting a blessing of joy, a refreshment of joy in your life. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the hope that you give us. We're so thankful for instructions like John chapter 15, that you over and over again remind us that if we abide in you, you will blow our circuits with joy, that you will respond to us, God, with a joyful life, with a joyful heart. So I pray in this room today, Lord, that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation, that we would remember our first love, that we would come back like the, the one leper out of the 10 who was delivered and who was healed. And he came with joy. And Jesus, I pray that you would unleash it now. Come, Holy Spirit, and bring the fullness of your joy. Let complete joy happen today.